But we've been in this series for the last few weeks called Playlist 80s on 8. And you know, the way this came about, we were uh, getting ready to celebrate our eight-year anniversary as a church. And, and I just said, why don't we just throw a massive 80s party, you know, to celebrate eight years. And so every week of this series, we've highlighted a different song from the greatest music decade of all time. Come on, somebody, the 80s. I love it. Um, some of you are like, I don't think so, Pastor. The 60s were my jam, you know. Some of you are 70s folks. I won't mention any names, but Pastor Mark does have a cool motorcycle. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> but we've highlighted a different song every week, and we've really focused in on what our mission is as followers of Jesus, as the church. And in week one, we highlighted the power of love, Huey Lewis in the news. And we talked about how God wants to get his love in us so that he can work his power through us. And then in week two, we talked about Don't Stop Believing, the great hit from Journey. And we talked about how God has called us to live lives with big, bold faith in who he is and what he can do. And then last week, we highlighted another hit song from the 80s, Heaven is a Place on Earth. And we talked about how we can bring real change to our world simply by going and being the church. And if you missed any of those, I just want to encourage you to make sure you jump on our Life Chapel podcast or, or jump on our YouTube page and uh, check those out. But today, as we bring the series to a close, I want to highlight one last song from the 80s. The song came out in 1987. The band was U2, and the song is I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. It's the anthem of ladies everywhere, shopping in their favorite department store. When you walk up to them and say, are you ready to go? And they answer, no, because I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You guys know it. Yeah, you love that song. Come on. Everybody loves Bono, right? All right, let's pray and ask, this is such a cool way to segue into prayer, but let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word today. Father, we exalt you, we glorify your name, Jesus. We thank you because your presence is here. You're in this room, Lord, and you're already ministering to your people. Father, we pray that you would minister to us through your word now. God, I pray that it would come alive in our hearts. Holy Spirit, have your way in us, Lord. Produce a harvest of righteousness. Cause us to become more like Jesus today. And we give you thanks and praise for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. 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 Well, I love this song. It's Bono, the lead singer of U2. He's singing about all of these experiences that he's been able to live out. He talks about places he's been and people he's met and things he's been able to do. But every time he gets to the course, he admits that in spite of all of that, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And the truth is, I believe that that is the anthem of so many people in our world today. And deep down in their hearts, they know it to be true. They're living their lives kind of day to day, taking in so many things, taking in experiences as they come, just kind of checking out everything that this world has to offer, experiences, places, people. But at the end of all of that, there is a gaping hole in the middle of their hearts that they just don't know how to fill. In spite of all the stuff, the emptiness remains. In spite of everything they've accomplished and everything they've done, there is a hopelessness that is set in and is not leaving. It is residing there. And no matter what new thing they reach out for, nothing ever seems to change in their heart. Nothing fills them up. Nothing, nothing meets their real need. Nothing satisfies the desire of their soul. And so they live their lives going from thing to thing and relationship to relationship and job to job and city to city and experience to experience, but with every 
new thing they embrace, the anthem still remains. I haven't found what I'm looking for. I believe every single human being on the planet is born with two things. One is an innate desire to know and connect with God, their creator. And two is an innate desire to know what their God-given destiny and purpose is. And you will never feel satisfied in life until you finally find these two things that everybody is looking for. You'll never feel satisfied until you come to know God. And listen to me, the only way that you can come to know God, your creator, the one who breathed life into you, the only way that you can come to know him is by coming into a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. There are many, many things, and there always have been in the history of the world, there are many things promising a pathway to God. But they all, in the end, they just lead to a greater sense of lostness and emptiness. Your drug can't do it. A relationship with somebody can't do it. Another religion that promises this won't be able to do it. None of those things can accomplish what your heart really desires. Jesus is the only way to come to know God. And that's just not a theory that I've come up with today. That's what Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 6, when he declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now listen to this. No one comes to the Father except through me. He went on to say in the next verse, when you really get to know me, that's when you'll really get to know my Father. And there are not multiple paths to God as this world would have us believe. There's only one way. Jesus is that way. And the pathway that he lays out for you ends in heaven. Every other pathway is a literal dead end. And this thirst, this hunger, this very real desire on the inside of every single human being to know God and connect with their creator is only met in relationship with Jesus. Now, here's some really good news for people that are looking for a way to get to God. You need to know that God created you with that desire. He put that desire in you because he wants you to come to him. God put that desire in you, and he knew that that desire that you would have to know him would literally drive your life. It would drive your, your life, but it, it would set the course of, of your life and so many things that you do. But despite your very best efforts, you would never be able to get yourself to him. And I want to be really clear about this. There is not enough good works you can do to become good enough to get yourself to God. There is not a righteousness you can attain to. There's not a glory you can develop. There's nothing like that you can do. God knew it was going to be an impossible task for you to meet that desire on your own to get yourself to him. So this is what God did for you and me. He came down to where we are. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that when we were powerless when we were powerless to save ourselves what we were powerless to do for ourselves God did for us by sending us his only son he took on flesh and became one of us he left the glory and splendor of heaven to come down to this sinful earth he came and he died on the cross not for sins that he had committed but for sins that we committed for the sins of the whole world and with the shedding of his innocent blood what he did was he made a way for every single person who calls upon the name of the Lord to come to God the Father. It's not by works so that anyone can boast. It is through grace you've been saved by faith in the work of God's Son. Jesus came to you so that you would not have to live your life on this never-ending search that leads to nowhere. Always looking for something you're never going to find because you can't find it in the things of this world and you can't find it in and of yourself. He came to you and offered you the gift of himself 
so that that desire to know God can be met, so that the search can be over, so that you can come to know the Father and find rest for your soul. That's what Jesus has done for us. There's a desire in every human being to know God. And secondly, there's a desire in every human being to know their purpose. Mark Twain famously said, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. And that's so true. Everybody is looking for that second piece in their life called purpose. And here's the thing. The second piece is inextricably tied to the first. You can't know your purpose without first coming to know God. Here's why. God is the author of your life. He's the author of your purpose. You'll never get to purpose until you come to God. But when you find God, you really find your life. When you find God, he fills in all the missing pieces of the puzzle. He reveals purpose to your existence. When you find God, you find your why. You find your reason for existence, your reason for living. And people all around us every single day are living their lives. They're doing their thing. They're going through the motions of life and they are singing this song. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. They sing it continually because they've yet to find these two things that every single human being on the planet is looking for, God and their purpose. And as long as those two things are missing, listen, the song will just keep going on and on. As long as those two things are missing, they walk aimlessly, is what Ephesians chapter 2 says. They're literally following the crowd. They have no idea that following the crowd is going to lead them right to the place of destruction. They're just aimlessly following, humming along. Instead of living the life that Jesus came to give them, and he talked about in John chapter 10, verse 10, when he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Another translation says life to the full. It's a fulfilled life in him because when you come to him, the search is over. And when you come to him, they're in relationship relationship. Nothing is missing from your life. Nothing is broken. Nothing is lost. Do you know that Jesus redeems all things? That there's not, there's nothing in your past that is too big to sabotage your future. When you come to the healer and you come to the redeemer of your life who takes care of all of that stuff, the things that you wish you could forget about, all the shame you used to carry. When you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, he doesn't just say, now you're good and you're going to make it to heaven. He says, let's do something about that past that you're ashamed of. Let's do something about what happened to you when you were a young child. Let's do something about the atrocities that you witnessed in your life. Let's do something. Let's set you free. Let's pull you out of the miry clay and put your feet on a rock that can't be moved. Come on. It's so much more than just getting to heaven. It's healing, forgiveness, grace, freedom. That's what Jesus has for his people. We now live with hope because the God of all hope is living on the inside of us. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. He says, whoever finds their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What does that mean? If you live your life trying to fill the void with everything this world offers, you're going to lose that life in the end. But if you'll lose your life, if you'll lay it down and trust Jesus and take him at his word, that's when you'll really find life. You'll find a life worth living. And church, this is what I want you to know today. This is the main point of my message. There are people everywhere singing this song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And we know what they're looking for. They're looking for God and they're looking for purpose. People everywhere are looking for those two things. And church, listen to me. It is our job to help them find it. 
It's our job to help people everywhere discover the missing pieces in their life that will make all the difference. Our mission on earth is to point people to Jesus because when they come to know him, they find God. And when they find God, they find life. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus talked about this. He said, he said enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. What you're looking for is not going to be found on the road that everybody else is on. You'll never find what you're looking for by following the crowd and doing what everybody else is doing. You'll find what you're looking for when you come off of that broad road and you put yourself on the narrow road, the path less traveled, the one that goes against the current of the culture and the ways of this world. That's the one that leads to the life you've dreamed of having. And so hear me today. I want to be real clear about this. It is absolutely God's heart that every single person on the planet find their way off that broad road and onto that narrow road. It is God's will that every single person on the planet come into relationship with Jesus and begin living the life that he died to give them. That is his heart for the world. That's why he came and he's commissioned us as his church to carry on that mission. He's not willing that any should perish, the Bible says, but that all would come to repentance. And Jesus made this clear throughout the gospels in his teaching. It was his will. It was his heart that lost people would become found, that hurting people would become healed, that broken people would be made whole, that people living under the power of this evil age would become set free and live instead as sons and daughters of God. Jesus did not leave anybody in the same place he found them. He brought healing to their soul. He brought forgiveness to their past. He set them free. That's what he did. The Bible says he looked on the crowds with eyes of compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus cared so deeply about people who were living far from God. And that's why he told stories throughout the Gospels like he did. Like the, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost son. What is God doing by telling those stories? He's revealing God's heart for humanity. That he is not some angry old man in the sky that if you mess up, you are in big trouble. No, he is coming and looking for you because he longs to have you in relationship with him. Jesus told these parables because he was passionate about people finding God and finding their life. And I just think that it's time for the church to become as passionate about lost people as Jesus was when he was on the earth. This was his mission, and this becomes our mission. This is why we exist. And look, there are a lot of things we do as the church, and, and, and all of them are really good. There are things that we do for people that are already found, and you're not lost anymore. You've come into faith in Jesus Christ, and you're being discipled, and that's a wonderful thing. I, I, I talk about all the time the value of community. We don't do life alone. We don't believe in that. We believe we are better together. And so it's important for us to be together as the church. Those things are necessary, important, and they're biblical. But listen to me. Ultimately, we have a mission that overwhelms all of that. It's why we are here. And it is to preach the gospel that reveals Christ to the world so that the lost can be found and those that are far from God can be brought near. I heard something really interesting several years ago that stuck with me about yacht clubs. Yacht clubs. And, you know, that's not really my thing. I'm not a, uh, I'm not a sailor. Uh, 
I don't have a little hat that I wear with a blue blazer and a pair of khakis on a Saturday afternoon. That's what I think of when I think of yachts, by the way. I think of Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. Come on, I got some South Carolina folks back here. The Yacht Club. That's not my, that's not my jam. I'm eating wings at the pub down, just eating wings. That's eating wings as far as that goes. <laughs> the yacht clubs are a totally different thing. And this blew me away. I couldn't believe this. But I, I found out that yacht clubs did not start out that way. Yacht clubs actually started as search and rescue teams. They were established all along the eastern coast of the United States. They were, they, were, they were established full of fishermen and sailors and just people who had ships. And when there was a boat lost at sea, they would call that team together. They would all come together. They would form a search and rescue mission team. And they would take their boats out to see if they could find that missing vessel and save them. And over time, the search and rescue teams transitioned into yacht clubs, which was way more about gathering around a shared interest in this hobby of boating than it was the mission to go out into rough waters at a moment's notice and save a ship that may be lost at sea. Their mission that they were started with was replaced by Sunday morning joy rides and afternoon cocktail parties. They lost their focus on what they were originally intended to do And this is what happened. They settled for a far less noble and necessary mission. And I believe in so many ways you could say the same thing about the church today. We were established by Jesus in the Gospels to be a search and rescue team. A collective force. A family on mission that goes out into the darkness of our world with the hope and light that is Jesus Christ. But somewhere along the way, we forgot about the mission that Jesus gave us, and instead we chose for ourselves one of our own making and our own design that, listen to this, does not capture God's heart for people. We've changed it to where now our goal is comfort, and we know we're on our way to heaven. We know we're saved. We're comfortable, and that's all that matters. But there is a whole world of people out there who remain lost. And the reality is if the church does not do this mission, no one is coming to save them. Let me ask you a question. Is that acceptable to you? Can you imagine if that was the approach of Jesus when he was here on the earth? Knowing that people are out there and they are desperate for help. They are in need. They're desperate for him. But his response to them was, you know what? I'm just going to chill here with my disciples today. I'm just going to hang out here with them. We're just going to hang out here in the temple. You're on your own. Figure it out. Jesus was not okay with that. He went to where people were, and he offered them the help that they really needed. And his mission is our mission. He is the head of the church. And we forfeit the right to call ourselves the church the moment we stop taking our lead from Jesus. Jesus states his mission clearly. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. His mission is our mission. And it's time that we get passionate about what Jesus was passionate about. He was passionate about people because people matter to God. He was passionate about lost people because lost people matter. They ought to matter to us as well. And don't forget, Pastor Mark mentioned it in the prayer time today. At one time, we were all lost too. At one time, we were out there waiting for somebody to come and help us. It's our calling. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 12, Jesus told a story that so perfectly reveals the heart of God for people. Look at it. He says, what do you think? 
if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. This story reminds me of a story I've told before. It's been a few years ago. It's this, one of the scariest moments of my life. It's when the kids were little, and I was home with Brianna and Nora. Olivia wasn't born yet, and Nora would have been about three, probably just turned three. Brianna was four. Carmen was at work, and I was home with them, and I was trying to get some work done downstairs. And anybody who's ever tried to work with children in your house, you know what I'm talking about. I was like... You know, so I was like, just listen, go upstairs and play. And the thing is, they played really well together most of the time. I mean, every now and then you'd hear like a, a, one of them whine or, or one of them kind of scream because they took the toy or they weren't sharing or whatever. But most of the time they played really well together. Olivia is a total different story. <laughs> that one, our third one, I, God is doing something in us and we haven't figured it out yet, but we're working on it. But Brianna and, and Nora were pretty easygoing. They played well together. And so it was not really that abnormal for me to send them upstairs to play and you just kind of not hear them for a while you know because they're just playing really well together and I remember sitting there thinking while I was working I thought man they're playing really well together I can't hear uh, them at all and and look you don't interrupt that as a parent you don't you don't stir the pot you just let it be you know because that's like gold when you've got those moments of uninterrupted time and it was about 30 or 40 minutes of just quiet, and I just didn't hear them. And then all of a sudden, Brianna comes down the stairs, and I notice as she comes downstairs to where I'm working, she's like walking around looking for something. She's looking under a table, you know, she's looking behind a couch, and she looks in the coat closet, she looks in the pantry, and I finally said, Brianna, what are you doing? What are you looking for? And she said, I'm looking for Nora. And I said, well, Nora's not down here, she's upstairs. So go back upstairs and keep playing. And she just said, okay, daddy. And she went back upstairs. So she goes back upstairs. I go back to work. And then I realize again that I don't hear them at all. Okay. And now it had probably been an hour since Brianna had come downstairs at this point. And I don't hear them at all. So I decide, you know what? I better go check on them because this quiet, they're probably getting into something they shouldn't be. You know, they probably found their mom's makeup or something like that. And so I walk upstairs and I walk into Brianna's room and she's just sitting there on the floor by herself playing with her dolls. And so I walked in there and I said, Brianna, where's Nora? And she said, I don't know. I lost her. <laughs> and I said, what? what do you mean you lost her? That, where is she? And she said, Daddy, we were playing hide and seek and I lost her. I couldn't find her. And I said, well, come on, let's see if we can find her. She's evidently an incredible hider. And so we go walking through all the rooms upstairs looking for Nora. And I started in kind of all the obvious places that a three-year-old would want to hide in her own bedroom. So I'm walking through. I look under the bed. I look in the closet. I look behind like the chest of drawers. And I kind of do my rounds in there, and I can't find her. And so I go back into Brianna's room, and, and I, I look under her bed in the closet. I look around things, the furniture. I, we can't find her anywhere. And so then, you know, I go out into the playroom upstairs, and I look behind the couch, and I look around, and I don't see her anywhere. And Brianna's looking too. And I go into our bedroom up there, and 
I look under the bed. I look behind the, uh, the dresser. Don't see her. I, I walk into the bathroom. I look around in there. I don't see her. I walk into our closet. You know, that's a great hiding place, by the way, kids. Um, you know, and I'm looking through the, the, the clothes, and I don't see her anywhere. And so I come out, and I say, Brianna, where did you last see her? And she said, I was counting with my head down. I don't know where she went. And I said, well, that checks out. That's how you play the game. So I thought, you know, she didn't come downstairs while I was down there. I would have heard her, but I thought, you know, maybe she's stealth and, and I'm going to go back downstairs and see if I can find her. So I go downstairs and I look everywhere. I look in the closet. I look in the pantry. I look under the table. I look behind the couches. I look everywhere and I don't see her. So I go back upstairs and I look through there again and I'm like, what in the world? Then I go downstairs again, and I make my rounds again, same place. I'm looking as if, like, maybe I didn't see her the first time. Then I thought, you know, maybe she went downstairs to the basement. And at that time, our basement was unfinished, and they knew they weren't allowed down there. And, you know, it was kind of a dangerous thing for a, for a toddler. You wouldn't want somebody to, you know, go down there at that age unsupervised. And so I thought, maybe she went down there, and she's just really serious about winning this game. And so I go down to the basement, and I look around, and I don't see her anywhere down there. So I come back upstairs, and I... And I thought, well, I don't know what else to do. I've looked everywhere. And I thought, well, maybe she somehow got outside, and I didn't know it. And so I walk outside. I'm looking in the backyard. I don't see her anywhere. I, I go to the front yard. I don't see her anywhere. I look on the sides of the house. I come back, and, and I'm kind of holding my breath, and I look inside the car, and, the, and there's no Nora in the car, thank God. I look in the garage again. There's no, there's no Nora in the garage. I'm looking everywhere I can think to look. I go back upstairs, and now... I, I'm kind of getting stressed out about this. I'm, I, I'm feeling some fear, and I'm calling her name a little louder now instead of like, Nora, where are you hiding? I'm like, Nora, you're not in trouble, but come out now, you know? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm really feeling it, and, and, and I just I, I look everywhere even more intensely. I'm going back upstairs, and I'm going back and forth to the basement, to the upstairs. I'm getting my exercise in. I'm running all over this house, and, and then... I did something that, listen, no parent should ever have to do. And I started to look for my daughter in places where if that's where she was, she would have been in real trouble. It would have been really bad. And, and, and maybe even a situation where she could have died. I looked for her in the dryer. I looked for her in the washing machine. I looked for my daughter in the bathtub and I thought, what if something awful's happened? I remember walking into Nora's bedroom and pulling back her curtains and looking to see if the screen was still in place over her two-story window and then looking down, terrified that I was going to see her laying there on the driveway. Couldn't find her. And uh, I go back downstairs and I look outside again. I looked in the window wells connected to our basement. Couldn't find her there. And then it started to hit me that, you know, Brianna came down and told me she was missing, and I just kept working. And I just didn't know what was really going on. And she came down and told me that, and she went back upstairs. And it had been 30 or 45 minutes at least since I heard them playing when she came down. And then it was another hour on top of that before I came upstairs. So then my mind goes to this, like, if she somehow got out of this house, she's wandered off somewhere. It's been an hour and a half. She's, she's down the street. Who knows where my three-year-old could be in this neighborhood? And then I thought, what if somebody somehow got into the house and took her? What if somebody took my daughter? And that was an hour and a half ago. And there, who knows where now? And my mind just began to race. And I thought, I don't know what else to do. And I picked up my phone and I called Carmen at work. And I said, 
I don't want to freak you out, but I can't find Nora. And of course, like any mother, she's like, what? You know? Um, And I said it again. I I don't want to freak you out, but I can't find Nora. And she just said, I'm on my way. And she hung up. And then I did something else that no parent should ever have to do. I called 911. I didn't know what else to do. And I'm on hold with 911, and I'm waiting for somebody to pick up. And as I'm waiting, I'm still searching frantically upstairs. I'm calling her name. Brianna's helping me look. Waiting on hold. It seemed like forever. And then... Finally, I hear Brianna say, Daddy, I found her. And I thought, what in the world? And so I come running in there, and I, I, I put my phone down, and Brianna had tripped over Nora while she was looking for her. <laughs> so let me paint the picture for you. In our bedroom, we've got these big windows, and, and in front of those windows, we've got these blackout curtains that were, are, are very long, and they bunch up at the bottom. And so Nora was hiding under the window underneath that curtain, and there, you couldn't see her. And she fell asleep while she was hiding. And so, like, and, and she is a hard sleeper. She still is to this day. So I'm screaming her name. She does not hear me. She is, she is under those curtains, and she's having the greatest sleep of her life. But, but when I realized where she is, I pulled the curtain back, and she's still not moving. Brianna's just stepped on her, and she's still not waking up. And, and I was like, then I'm thinking she's unconscious or, you know, she suffocated or something. So I grab her, and I'm like, Nora! And, of course, nobody wants to be woken up that way, especially when your sleep is great. And so she's like, you know, she starts crying. And then I just, I picked her up in my arms, and I just held her there in my arms. And I remember falling back onto my bed, uh, holding her in my arms, and and. You know, I just, I held her there, and I remember, like, my eyes were just filling with tears, and, and I was, as I was just holding her, I, I kept thinking, you know, I, it was like a combination of relief from the greatest fear you could ever have, and just this intense love that I was feeling for this little girl, and I just, I held her in my arms, and it's kind of like waking up from a bad dream, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't know. It's like, is this real? Did this really happen? Am I okay? Is she okay? You know, it was, it was all kind of just like taking its toll. She just goes right back to sleep in my arms, like, and she slept for another hour. I did not let her go. I held her for an hour until she woke up that afternoon, but I was, I was so glad she was found. And it was just amazing as I held her there, I felt the peace of God come into the room. And that's just a really special thing. When you're overwhelmed with fear and, and just the, 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 the greatest fear imaginable for the peace of God that the Bible says passes understanding to just come into your heart in that moment. I remember feeling his wonderful presence and all the fear was just washed away by his peace and, and the worry and the franticness and the pressure in my chest. All of that was just being ministered to by his presence. And I just, I just held her in my arms. I didn't want to let her go. I was so relieved that she was okay. I was so thankful that she had been found. And see, the Lord used that event in my life to teach me something about his heart. Because a good shepherd will frantically look for the lost lamb until he finds it. And why does he do that? Why does the good shepherd do that? It's because he has an intense love for that lost lamb that will not allow him to stand by and do nothing. He knows that that lamb left alone in this world with all the dangers out there, the the predators, the snares, that lamb would never make it out alive. So he goes to where that lamb is. The scripture calls Jesus the good shepherd. Listen to me. He is good because he loves. 
That's why he's good. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. And he does not stop looking until he finds that one that's lost. And here's the thing. As Christ followers, we're called to do the same thing. It's really easy for the church to get stuck in the habit of looking inwardly, to focus on the 99 and forget about the one. But listen, we are called to look outwardly. The church has been commissioned to be a giant search party out there looking for the one that is still lost, that hasn't made it home yet. We are to go out there and find them and help them make their way home. The best thing that we can do for people out there that are singing that song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, is to go to where they are and point them back to Jesus. They are worth every effort. And you might say, well, you know what? What if they don't take me up on it? What if they ignore me? What if they, what if they don't want Jesus? What if they don't want to come to church with me? Listen, they are still worth every effort because they were worth it to Jesus. He died for them whether they ever take him up on that offer or not. It's worth it to tell them, to show them, to point them to Jesus because when they find him, they find life. There's an amazing story contained in John chapter 4 that details just this exact scenario. It's the story of the woman at the well. And that woman, she fits the description of so many people, so many others that we know, that we see every day, people just like her. She was easily somebody who could have been living her life, singing that song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You find that she couldn't find it in marriage. We find in the story as it unfolds that she had had five husbands and was working on number six. This marriage thing was not working out too well for her, but she was clearly looking for something. She's looking to fill a void with a husband. She went to the well when no one else would be there. The scripture says that when she went to that well, it was the middle of the day. And see, there were typically two times that somebody in town would go to the well. It was the beginning of the day when it was still cool, or it was at night when the sun had gone down. They would go to draw water when the water was cool. Nobody went in the middle of the day when the sun was beating down on the water, but that's when this woman went to the well. She went in the middle of the day probably because she didn't want to see anybody else. She knew what people thought about her. She heard them laugh as she would walk by. She heard their whispers. She saw their looks. And she was a woman steeped in shame, intensely wounded by poor life choices and circumstances probably beyond her control. But then on top of that, you add the treatment from the hands of others. And it's just about too much for anybody to be able to take. And I get the impression, reading the story, that this woman had all but given up because she had spent years, clearly, of searching and at several failed marriages and several failed friendships and probably a family that rejected her. She still hasn't found what she's looking for. And so can you imagine her surprise when she walked to the well that day thinking she was going to be all alone and Jesus is sitting there waiting on her? And then her even greater astonishment when he opened his mouth and started a conversation with her. Because not only... Did men not talk to women like that back in that culture? Jesus was Jewish and she was Samaritan and Jews did not talk to Samaritans back then either. But Jesus broke all the rules and the reason he did is because he cared deeply for this one lost lamb who was out there by themselves trying to figure it out that nobody else seemed to care about. And so Jesus, he literally rearranged his whole schedule to make sure that he was sitting at the well right when she would 
arrive. And after a lengthy conversation, I would welcome you to read it this week in your devotion time. Read John chapter 4. It's amazing. After a lengthy conversation where he is little by little revealing more about who he was and what he could do for her, she said this in John chapter 4 verse 25. She says, you know, you're getting deep into this and I don't really understand everything you're saying. And so she says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Now look at what Jesus says in verse 26. He declared to her, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am he. With that one statement, Jesus was letting this woman know, I am the one you've been looking for. Your search is over. You've met me, and now it's time to change your song. Because you found me, now you found all the missing pieces of your life and now all the broken pieces of your life can be healed and I can take those things that are dark and ugly in your past that you wish you could forget and I'm going to make them into something beautiful and I'm going to give you a testimony that's going to impact generations. You found me, you found life and now it's time for you to put your hope in me the Messiah because I'm the only one who can save you. You've been searching your whole life for me and now you found me. Amen. Give him praise for that. And I believe in this story that Jesus gives us a really easy strategy to join him on his mission to seek and save the lost, this rescue mission in the world. I'm going to give you these really quickly. Number one is to put yourself in proximity. Put yourself in proximity. Two is to start a conversation. And three is to point them to Jesus. This is all Jesus did to help this woman, and it revolutionized her life. This is all he did to help her find what she was looking for, and we're able to do the same thing as the people of God. you got to put yourself in proximity to people who are far from God. Listen to me. Do not let yourself become an inwardly focused only Christian. It is so easy to do that. Do not let yourself do that. Jesus looked on the crowds with compassion, and his compassion drove him to where they are. We're called to do the same thing. So this is the challenge for the people of God, especially people who've been saved for a long time. It's just really easy to start turning inward. I'm preaching to myself today. It's, it's hard to, to maintain friendships with people who are far from God because you do everything together as a community of faith. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. You should have that. But at some point in your week, you should also have interaction with people who are far from God. The Bible says that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven How can they see your good works if they never see you? So you put yourself into proximity to where they are, just like Jesus did for that woman. And then you start a conversation. You start a conversation. Don't be afraid to develop a friendship with somebody who's far from God. Jesus started the conversation by asking her for a drink. And listen, a question is a great conversation starter. Because when you ask a question, typically you're going to find that common denominator, the thing that connects you to this person, you know? Um, in, in this case, the thing that connected them was Jesus said, I'm thirsty and you've got water. So let's talk about it. It's really that simple. He started a conversation and he found the thing that connected them. And then he began to speak to that. And he used that to unveil amazing truth. I am the water from the well that never runs dry. I'm the thing you've been looking for. And then number three, point them to Jesus, point them to Jesus. He pointed her to himself. He knew that she was searching. So he simply, very simply told her, I am he. I'm the one that you've been looking for. Now listen, 
As we follow Jesus' example in this, we don't say that. When somebody says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out here looking for something, we don't say, I am he. I am the one you've been looking for. No, this is what we say. We say, I know a guy, and I know where he lives, and I'll take you to his house if you want to go. It's simple. It's simple. Listen, you don't have to know anything other than this. Paul said, we resolve to preach nothing else but Jesus Christ and him crucified. If the only thing you can say to somebody is, you know what? Jesus helped me, and I think he can help you too. (laughs) That's the gospel. That's what you're called to do. That's the mission being fulfilled. I want the band to come up and begin to play softly. We're going to close here in just a moment. But the coolest thing about this story, and you'll see it if you read it this week, but the coolest thing about this story with the woman at the well is that after she realized who Jesus was, the Bible says that she dropped her pitcher of water. And by the way, this is, this is just for free. It's not even in my notes. But it's amazing how many times in the scripture you see Jesus touch somebody and they leave something behind. And it just signifies my past is over. I'm walking away from this. And so she, she drops her water And the Bible says that she runs into town to tell everybody that she finds what just happened. And this is what's amazing about her running into town. Remember, she came to the well when nobody else would be there. But now she's running into town to tell everybody. Why is that? Because she doesn't care about her shame anymore because he set her free. She doesn't care about her past anymore because she's been healed. Her brokenness is no longer defining her life. The conversation she had with the man at the well has changed everything and has redefined her life and her future and her relationships. And so she goes and tells him, you guys all know about me. Well, there's a man down there that told me everything I ever did, and he didn't condemn me. He saved me, and you need to go and see him too. And the Bible says that the whole town came out to see Jesus. They all came out there to see him too. Now check this out. The one that you leave the 99 to go and find and help lead home might just be the one that goes back and gets the 99 that are still lost and brings them home too. That's exactly what this woman did. She became the first evangelist in the New Testament. And nothing brings God more glory than a life that is lived on mission for him. And here's the thing. Jesus, he does this every day with every single one of us. He puts us in proximity to people that he loves that are living far from him and invites us to start a conversation with them to learn their story, and in learning their story, listen, you hear their need, and then you point them to Jesus. This is my question for all of us today. What are you doing with those opportunities? Are you living your life to point people to Jesus, or are they falling by the wayside? Jesus said that we are called to go into the highways and the byways and compel them to come. It's the calling of the church. I want you to stand with me all across the room with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Please, nobody looking around. There's something I want to take care of before we move forward in the service today. Nobody looking around, please, with every head bowed and every eye closed. I just wonder if there's anybody here today, and the reason you're here is because Jesus brought you in proximity to himself, and he drew you here today, and you're here because God so desperately wants to come into relationship with you. And you've been running as hard as you can from God because you were afraid of him. You were afraid of letting him down. You were afraid that you wouldn't be good enough. 
You were afraid that he wouldn't embrace you, that he wouldn't accept you. And what I want you to know today is that that search and that running that you've been doing, it can all end in this moment. Because you don't have to run to get to him. He is running to get to you. And all you've got to do in this moment is say yes to Jesus. He has put himself in proximity to you. He has interrupted your normal day-to-day life to say, I am he. I am the one you've been looking for. And friend, you do not have to leave here the same way you came in today. You can leave here set free by the power of God. You can leave here saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've been living far from God and I know it's time for me to come home, will you just lift your hand right where you are? I want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to do anything embarrassing. But if that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you are? I'm ready to come home. I'm ready to come home into a relationship with God the Father. I'm ready to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. Come on, don't miss this moment. Don't miss this opportunity. Jesus is here. He's ministering right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, touch your people today. Minister, Father. I want to tell you something. There's so many ways that we've complicated really simple things. And the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's all you have to do in this moment. It's just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I look to you. Jesus, I'm coming home. You don't have to know some perfectly worded prayer. Just say, Jesus, I know I've messed up. I know I'm a sinner, but I'm coming home. And just that right there, that's all it takes. That's all it takes. He says, welcome home. Welcome to your purpose. Welcome to a life worth living. That's what he's doing right now. We give you praise for that. We give you praise for that, Lord. For the rest of us in the room, let me talk to you for just a moment. I want you to just still with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I want you to think about that one. Think about the one that's still lost. You know who they are. What's their name? Where do they live? What are they going through right now? What are they dealing with right now? And how can Jesus help them? Think about them. Think about them. Father, give us a passion for lost people. Give us a passion for people that are far from you. Help us, God. Give us courage to start conversations, Lord. Help us to capture your heart for the world. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We're going to pray a little more while we we sing this song in just a moment, but... Listen, I just want to remind you again that this series that we're starting next Sunday, this is the perfect setup for somebody who is far from God. This is such a great opportunity. And when you leave today, we've got invite cards for you to take. And the reason that you're taking these isn't to stick them on your refrigerator and forget about them. It's so that you can give them to that neighbor whose name just popped up into your mind or that coworker who you just saw their face. You just saw their face in your mind. God is prompting you to put yourself in proximity and invite them to church. It's such a simple thing. And then on top of that, next Saturday, we're going to gather here at the church at 6 o'clock, and we are going on a search and rescue mission here in Colorado Springs. We're calling this a community blitz, and we're going to have 
thousand or more of these invite cards and we're just going in to Starbucks and McDonald's and Chick-fil-A, probably not Chick-fil-A because everybody's saved in Chick-fil-A. Thank you, Richard. But we're going into these places. We're going into these places and we're just going to give invite cards to people and invite them to come to church. And listen, I believe that this place is going to be packed out with people who are looking for Jesus. And I'm so excited about what God is doing. So, yeah. So put it on your calendar. Meet us here next Saturday night. All the information is online on our website. And help us to meet the needs in this city. But the band's going to lead us in this song. And as they do, I want to ask you to do two things. Number one, as Christ followers, I want you to rededicate yourself to the mission of Jesus Christ. You have not been saved just to simply somehow make it to heaven. No, no. You've been saved to make a difference in the world. He did not save you to make your life comfortable. He saved you to make you dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. That's why you're saved. All right? And so I want you to find the passion that Jesus want so desperately for you to live with to help lost people come home. And the second thing is, whoever came into your mind, that one person or that that family down the street, whoever it was, as we sing this song, I want you to begin praying for them and ask God to begin ministering to their heart before you even invite them to church. Come on, let's sing with the band. You give